This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 12, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Henry David Thoreau marks his 200th birthday today, but his impact on American history may be overstated, and it's unfortunate that his civil disobedience and transcendentalism didn't have a bigger impact. That from Anthony Comegna of Libertarianism.org. We spoke this week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always viewed Henry David Thoreau as a bit of a Ron Swanson. The, the two things that, that are celebrated uh, Henry David Thoreau pieces are, of course, Walden and his essay, Civil Disobedience. And you combine those t- two things and you find a man who enjoyed autonomy, um, refused in many ways to play the game that is uh, a democratic government, and uh, really uh, re- reveled in his right to be left alone. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair uh, assessment, and I guess you know we'll have to put Ron Swanson in the libertarian pantheon alongside him. Uh, the thing I would say about Thoreau from the outset here is that I think that he's an important figure in libertarianism, probably more so, maybe much more so than he is an important figure in American history. And we should not confuse those two things because it will make us think something very differently about American history than what was actually the case. Okay, So it's unf- you say that it's in a way unfortunate that the Thoreaus, the transcendentalists, did not have quite the impact on American history that uh, they're celebrated for. And yet the people who seem to be unsung, the new Americans, did have such this profound impact on culture that uh, they're not as celebrated for. Yeah, if, if you do your history from above, so if your focus is on the great men and their great things, their uh, great books and deeds and works, um, then you know, much like historians in the early 20th century, uh, you're going to see all the great big politicians as the driving forces of history or the great authors that people remember as you know, uh, some, doing something new and different and exciting in literature. Um, well, for, for most historians for a long time, that has been the transcendentalists. And you know, if you learn your history from above, like a school kid reading you know, books in history class or even in English class where I think I learned more history than in history classes, uh, you'll read Thoreau. He's anthologized and he's talked about as, as though that were transcendentalism as American culture in the Jacksonian period and it simply wasn't. Um, and it really did not exercise much impact outside of you know, the Lyceum circuit or some elite circles in uh, New England intellectual life. Um, it didn't go much far beyond Walden Pond, unfortunately. And uh, historians in more recent decades have been looking from below at popular activity and popular culture uh, to see what actually did happen in American life in those decades and which had more of an impact, the elites in their sort of you know, ivory towers or in their isolated cabins in the Massachusetts countryside um, or are they uh, – you know, is, is change happening in the streets? And at the and the piers and the docks, uh, is it happening in the fields? Um, and I stand in the history from below camp, and I think you could say as a libertarian, it is sad and unfortunate 
that the radical individualism of somebody like Thoreau, even maybe his moralism, uh, it is unfortunate that so much of that has gone out of American life. Uh, and the culture that actually won in the you know, battles of, of different generations in the Jacksonian pre-Civil War era, the faction that actually won those culture wars was called Young America. Uh, it was not really transcendentalism. It was, let's say, transcendental romanticism plus democratic politics and all of the romanticism involved there. Um, so the, the young Americans really rose up in the 1830s inspired by republican movements in Europe, um, democratic constitutions in, across the states in the 1820s. They wanted to take Jacksonian democracy worldwide. Um, and you know, revolutionize the world on the Republican model as much as possible. And they thought the best way to do that from America was to change the culture, to make it a radically democratic culture. Um, and for them, that did not necessarily include uh, Thoreau's style of isolated individualism. Um, problematic as we might think isolation is today, that was a much nicer brand of, uh, of culture, I think, than what we got from the young Americans and the Jacksonians, the sort of culture that invaded Canada and tried to inaugurate civil war in Rhode Island. And they led, you know, run, ran sheriffs out of town on a rail uh, in New York. And they led us into war with Mexico and tried to, you know, conquer more territory. I'd rather take Thoreau, but America didn't. Okay. So, uh, reconcile these things for me. The idea that, uh, the transcendentalists and Thoreau in particular did not have the impact that we might have hoped that they did and yet at the same time that transcendentalism, that uh, um, optimism did uh, seem to uh, affect the new Americans. Well, so the, the, the young Americans, historians separate them into two groups. There's the first uh, part of the generation that really was in – flourished in the 1830s and early 1840s. These are people like William Leggett, uh, Thomas Cole, the painter, Asher Durand, Walt Whitman, um, to some extent Hawthorne and Melville. Uh, and these, these were people who – John L. O'Sullivan who coined the term manifest destiny. These people really thought that the way to revolutionize the world was to be a cultural example, to promote – the culture of republicanism and liberty to show other peoples around the world that they simply had to choose it, right? They just had to recognize that they were in fact free beings responsible for themselves and just like that, they could revolutionize their society, take control over their governments and change the entire world country by country uh, through the American influence. When you combine that kind of romantic regard for republicanism, that almost transcendent uh, you know, universalism that says everybody everywhere is, is open to these American principles in practice. And then you combine that with the concentrated power of a modern democratic nation state. You really get unexpected and grisly bloody results. They didn't expect that, the young Americans. Uh, we have the benefit of hindsight in seeing that their drive toward universal global republicanism um, this, this overwhelming sense of romanticism uh, combined with their democratic politics, their almost dogmatic democratic politics, it gave us things like the March to the Mexican War, which was not a popular war, but Polk was elected to office specifically because he was an expansionist. That was his, his big platform 
uh, getting the nomination and then running for president in 44. Um, and, you know, Americans marched into that war and the young Americans specifically came out very scarred by it, uh, disenchanted with politics, disenchanted with the idea that you can romantically revolutionize the world. Um, now, not all of them though. Some of them came out of it with the idea that this power just let us conquer half of Mexico. That is amazing. That is a big, big advance for Amer American power and our position in the world. And keep in mind, they were always very scared that Queen Victoria was grasping more and more territories around the world, scooping up India and Afghanistan and ports in China and you know territories in Africa and they were aiming at Hawaii. Uh, so the Americans use this, you know, think of Britain in the 19th century as the Soviet Union uh, in the 20th century. That's how the young Americans treated this British juggernaut. And they embraced the, the next generation, what historians call young America too, positively embraced that uh, uh, exertion of American power and supremacy around the globe uh, to suit our own personal interests here at home um, or, you know, advance the American position abroad. So where the Young America One folks, uh, the artists that we remember from the era, you know, Melville and Whitman and so on, Hawthorne, um, they really were scarred by that exercise of power when they saw it happen. Uh, the people who, let's say, benefited the most in the succeeding generation politically, uh, they embraced that expansion of power. Um, and, you know, to, to, to somebody like Thoreau, that was awful. Uh, but that is where America went. That is nonetheless where the popular culture took us. Uh, and to say that you know, pre-Civil War America was about transcendentalism, that was our culture, is wildly missing the mark and it over-exaggerates Thoreau's impact. What we should really understand about him is that it's a tragedy he wasn't more influential. It's a tragedy more Americans didn't go figuratively with him to Walden Pond. Instead, they went marching off to uh, you know, conquer Mexico. Well, engage in a little bit of speculative historical fiction here then. What might the United States have looked like had Thoreau been uh, more influential? You know, that, that really is a great uh, <laughs> counterfactual history question because it, it highlights how radically different the individualist idea really is from what we have in practice today. Today we have – and in, even in the Jacksonian era, we had a government uh, that assumed the right to rule over all of us by virtue of secret ballot and uh, you know, some sort of nationalist idea that because we're all in the same borders with a similar language and history, we have to be under the same institutions. The individualist impulse you find in somebody like Thoreau and others of his generation that were relatively isolated or folks after him like, like – not really. I mean he was alive at the same time but Spooner uh, who lived later and, and Benjamin Tucker after him, you know, these isolated radical individuals who did make an impact but it was decidedly not what drove American life. Uh, had we chosen to go that path, life would be radically different. That really is the point of radicalism. You get to the root of all of the, the causes of our problems and sort it out. And you'll have a dramatically different result. And you know, 150 years after Thoreau, where would we be now? You know, 
God knows, I don't want to be too speculative and dramatic and transcendent here. Uh, but perhaps there is no limit. I think of uh, in in uh, modern America, I think of uh, Carl Hess as being somebody who is much more similar to Thoreau in writing his uh, letter to the IRS abolishing the agency uh, <laughs> using the uh, terms from the Declaration of Independence. Mm. And um, it seems that for uh, people who live that way, uh, there's a heavy price to be paid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's more than uh, a lot of people are willing to pay. It's more than I think any reasonable person should be asked to pay uh, to live in a just world. And, you know, Maybe it's just me, but I think it's a bit of a tragedy that we have this – that you know, over our lifetimes of being oppressed by so many social and political and economic forces, we get hardened to it all such that we think, oh, come on. Life is tough. You can't just escape away to live by Walden Pond. But you know, you really should be able to. You should be able to do that and not have the tax man follow you there and not make you pay to send soldiers into Mexico to kill people indiscriminately and steal half their country and set up a civil war that basically all observers know is probably coming anyways at some point because of this. Uh, we should not live in that world. And if more of us really did make – oh, I, I sound like O'Sullivan here now and a young American. If more of us really did make that choice to live as – radical individuals and respect the rights of others equally, uh, we would live in a dramatically different world. Walt Whitman wrote about uh, cultivating cities in the clouds in the democratic future. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not too far off of a vision. Anthony Comegna is assistant editor for Intellectual History at Libertarianism.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 